Lord, we thank you for how great, how great and amazing you are, Lord. You are worthy of our highest praise and our adoration. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place, for this church, for this family, that we have everything we need in you. Be exalted. Lord, speak your words. Help us to be more and more like you. Holy Spirit, you are more than welcome to wreck us, <laughs> to speak, to bring your healing, to bring your power, to help us to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm Sammy, and uh, one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome those um, that are watching online, joining us online. Thank you and, uh, for being tuned in and all of you that are here this morning, thank you if this is your first time or your 10,000th time. Um, we are so glad to be together and to be with you. I titled this message, and just, you know, I was just reading um, what we're going to be learning from today in, in the book of Acts. Um, and I was like, Lord, what, like, after reading all of this and all that, like, at the end, I was like, what is, what are you trying to tell us? Like, what does this mean? And I was just like, you know, God is in control, no matter what, and we'll see it. We have no idea of the times that God has intervened in our lives. Like, he saved us from different things, different scenarios, different situations, and from danger. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask for that tape. I'm going to be like, okay, Lord, I want to see what the things that you saved me from. Like, ah. So I'm just going to be like, and you, you say that, and that too, and this. Oh, my gosh. Mm, like, the, oh, wow. It's crazy, the things that the Lord has done behind the scenes that we don't even know. We don't even know. But there's also things that we are convinced. We are convinced that like, man, that had to have been God. There is no way. God did this. They, no, like, wow, God definitely intervened. We got to be thankful for, for the blessings and also for the challenges and the struggles. Because at the end, God is in control. Amen. Amen. We've been in the book of Acts for quite some time now, and we are kind of winding down to the end of this story, this saga of God building his church using ordinary people like you and me, doing amazing things with people that say, yes, I'll follow you. Yes, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. I want to follow you, Jesus. And we've seen God's hand orchestrating everything behind the scenes in Paul's life. Sometimes alerting Paul to not get captured, like, okay, boom, like, go through here and get, jump off this window, <laughs> go, go down here, like, orchestrating so he wouldn't get uh, captured or killed. But other times, allowing him 
to be captured and to suffer in order to get him in situations to be able to speak to certain groups of people and speak the truth, like religious leaders and government officials, <clears throat> orchestrated divine protection and sometimes orchestrated divine struggle. But everything that is happening is happening as part of God's plan. You know that nothing catches God by surprise. He's not in, in, in heaven being like, like, ooh, shoot. I did not see that coming. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Next time I'm going to send more angels to protect you. God is always in control. Amen? He's always in control. Even when we can't see him working, he's certainly working. Like that song that we love to sing here. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop. You know? Love it. I'm going to break out into um, <clears throat> So we're at a point in Paul's journey when God allowed him to suffer and be captured for the cause of Christ. We must remember that this was foretold, actually. In Acts um, 9, actually, this was the Damascus Road account when God said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. So this is happening. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And indeed he has suffered. For the sake of Christ and his gospel. But Paul was so committed, so committed to Jesus that he was ready to give it all to him, even to the point of death. And Acts 21, when his fellow brothers and sisters urged him, pleaded with him, like, no, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're gonna kill you. They're gonna, they're gonna arrest you and they're gonna kill you. Please, don't go. But Paul told them, Hey, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. So we pick up right here in Acts 23, verse 23, at the end of the chapter. After Paul was arrested and beaten, and he pleads, and he's like, hey, you guys, uh, you, you, are you sure you want to keep doing this? You know, I'm a Roman citizen. Then a huge fight breaks out between the Pharisees and Sadducees after he brought up the resurrection. He's taken to prison for protection and to be tried by the Roman authorities. But Jesus stood by Paul and encouraged him to take courage. Hey, I'm in control. They're not going to kill you. You will testify of me in Rome. You're going to make it. Take courage. So then God supernaturally uses Paul's nephew. So we 
learned that Paul had a sister and he had a nephew and he had uncles and aunts probably and you know he had a family he was a dude you know sometimes we think of Paul like Apostle Paul like oh we see him in a pedestal like oh it's just he is just amazing he he was an amazing man because he sold he was sold out for Jesus that's why but he had a family and his nephew, which is very, very courageous for him to do, uh, found out that um, there was a, a plot to kill. There was assassins that were ready to kill Paul. So he alerted the commander that the Jews were planning to assassinate Paul. So then this happened. Verse 23. Then he, Lysias, the commander, called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of, that's a lot of soldiers. And if that wasn't enough, 70 horsemen, just, just picture this, just going, like, just 70 horses. And if that wasn't enough, and 200 spearmen, like these were the elite Roman soldiers. They were just ready, just, you can see them just being like, with their spears, like, okay, nobody's going to look for ambushes. Just like, eh, okay, here you go. Um, and take to go to Caesarea at night tonight. Provide horses for Paul. Even Paul gets his own horse. So he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. So this is a serious military convoy. That's an army. And according to historians... The entire Roman force in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, um, was consisted of a thousand soldiers. So Lysias deploys pretty much like half of the Roman force in Jerusalem to, er, to escort Paul for one man. Just think about that. And you can imagine what these soldiers might have been thinking. It's good to just put yourself in the characters, in, in the moments, in the people that are doing this. This is not just words in a page. You're just thinking like, okay, I'm a soldier. You're thinking like, oh my gosh, now we gotta, we gotta take this guy at nine tonight and make it all the way up there and get all, it's just a big trouble. Oh my gosh, why are we doing this? Just give them to the Jews. Like, a, but I can think, I'm just thinking of, it might be some of them, I bet, that they were thinking, who? Who, who is this Paul guy? He must be someone very important. Like, I want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear. And if we know anything about Paul, you know that he would not shut up talking about Jesus. He would take every opportunity that he could to share the gospel. So it's very likely that God has, that Paul had some amazing conversations about Jesus with these guys, with some of these guys. God's will always prevails. That's what I see. He will do whatever it takes to accomplish his mission. But don't you think this is a little bit excessive? Okay, like this is, this is pretty much an army taking Paul to safety. Why did the commander care so much about Paul's safety? So they were the occupying force in the land. And 
The commander's main job is to maintain order and stability in his post. He could have been thinking like, man, this could escalate very quickly. As long as Paul is here in Jerusalem, the possibility of an uprising is, is very likely. So we need to get this guy out of here. We need to get this guy out of here. We need to de-escalate the, the situation. And this guy is my prisoner, and he is a Roman citizen. What if there is a mob that comes into the barracks and, and kills him or kills some of my men? Like, he could be in very serious trouble. Let Felix deal with him. <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, we clearly see how God used an unbeliever, an enemy, if you will, to carry out his purpose, to protect Paul from an untimely death. Because Paul's time hadn't come yet. Remember this, when God wants to do something, he will make sure that it happens, no matter what, no matter what. So he sends this formal letter to the governor, Reading verse 25, this is an official document. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Silius, or Lysias, commander, to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen, I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin, which is their council. I found the, that the accusations, the accusation had to do with, some, with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So if you remember last Sunday how things went down, you know, Felix is definitely, um, or Lysias is definitely sanitizing the situation. That's now exactly how it happened. He was, he was covering his butt, okay? Because things didn't go down exactly like that, and you can go back and read it, um, but I digress. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris, which is 35 miles north of Jerusalem. The next day, they, uh, let, the, they let the cavalry go, go on with him. About 70, about 70 soldiers stayed with Paul. While they returned to the barracks, when the, the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, it's another 30 miles north, they delivered the letter to the governor and had it handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, you know, Paul was from Tarsus, which is the capital city of Cilicia, which is a Roman province. So he's like, okay, you're under my jurisdiction. I need to deal with this. He said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered Paul to be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Point number two, following Jesus requires 
patience, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know that? Our favorite one, right? <laughs> Say it with me. Following Jesus requires patience. Following Jesus requires patience. Oh, how fun, right? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> so here Paul has to sit and wait in the Lord again. And be patient. Oh, patience. I can imagine he might be thinking, let's get this over with. What are we waiting for? I need to make it to Rome. Come on. And it doesn't seem that God's timing and our timing are almost like never in sync. We want things to happen right now. Right now. It's interesting how God teaches us patience. Our prayers are usually just hurry up, Lord. Give me patience in Jesus' name right now. <laughs> when is that promotion going to happen? And when are the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> Come on, preach. <laughs> when are my kids are going to learn to put away their shoes? The moms and the dads are like, yes. <clears throat> when is God going to heal my wife? My husband, my child. When are my kids are going to come to Christ? When, when, when? So, oh Lord, give us patience as we pray and we wait on you. We're going to chapter 24. We'll continue. So, Paul finally goes to trial. I'm talking about patience. Five days later, ugh, five days, he had to sit there. The high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea. And he was thinking, what took you guys so long? Come on. With some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before, their, um, before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. And he said, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this, profound, with this with profound gratitude, which was not the case. The record shows, the historical record, that Felix was, was hated by the Jews, and he had a very tumultuous tenure. But he was trying to kind of butter him up, you know, to just gain his graces and his favor. But in order not to, to weary you further, I will request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world, which is a serious offense in Roman law. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple is a serious offense in Judaism. So we seized him. By examining, examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all the charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. And now is Paul's time to speak. 
When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily testify that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Have you ever been falsely accused of something that you didn't say or you didn't do? Or your words have been misrepresented? And I think we all can relate to that. But what's important is how we react. And we'll see how Paul responded in this situation, which is a very, just an awesome example for us. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which is the early name for Christianity, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as this man themselves have. So he's finding some common ground here. That there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive also, always, to keep my conscience clear before God and man. It is very, very interesting that Paul ends with this. As followers of Christ, we ought to, like Paul, like he said in Romans 12, do not pay or do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Of course, we can't control what people think of us and how they perceive us, but as much as we can as believers, as much as is our part, as far as it depends on us, we must live at peace with everyone so that we're not a stumbling block or a hindrance for people to know Jesus because we represent him. We represent him. Let's continue. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there, was, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia, from Asia who, who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or well, these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in the presence in their presence. And oh boy, here we go again. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. All these other accusations were not true, but this is the big sticking point. The resurrection of the dead. 
which the Pharisees believed in, but the Sadducees didn't. And that caused an explosive fight when Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just threw that grenade. What about the resurrection of the dead? And there's, well, maybe God spoke to, maybe it was an angel, maybe. And there was a huge commotion. That was brilliant. Totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake. This wasn't just about the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. It had everything to do with believing and propagating the reality and the truth that Jesus rose from the dead and in fact is the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Paul writes, he says, "If If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So all of this, none of this matters. More than that, we're we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but but if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But we have the hope of glory. That because Jesus rose from the dead, he will also raise us with him when he returns. If we belong to him. Amen. God has promised us in his word that we will get a new glorified body like he does. That would be awesome. That is amazing. That is amazing when you think about it. And that is a promise. We will be raised with him and we'll be just like him. First John says that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That day is coming. So everything hinges on the resurrection. But without Jesus, there will be no resurrection. He's the only one that conquered death and the grave. Paul's message is, I will not deny that Jesus rose from the dead and he's the Messiah. You can beat me up. You can take me to prison. You can burn me alive if you want to. But I will not recant. I will not deny the truth. He stood by me a few days ago when I was in prison in Jerusalem. And he encouraged me. He is alive. And he is the son of God. He transformed my life. And I owe it all to him. Verse 22. When Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, it's interesting, Adjourned the proceedings. And so he didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to to take care of his needs. Aren't you thankful for good friends that care for you? Paul had those friends. Brothers and sisters, I were like, okay, 
We're going to go visit you. Even if it, it's kind of a shameful thing to go a, a visit a prisoner, we don't care. We're going to take care of you. God will take care of you through us. Several days later, again, patience. Felix came with his, his wife, Drusilla. You know, I did some digging about Drusilla because I like that name. I was like, Drusilla, that's really cool. But you know that, you remember in uh, chapter 12, Acts 12, King Herod that was struck by an angel and was eaten by worms. They had a horrible death. Okay, so Drusilla is his youngest daughter. Interesting, interesting fact. So Felix was married to King Herod's, uh, former King Herod um, daughter. And he was Jewish. He sent for Paul and, and listened to him and he, as he spoke about Jesus and faith in Christ, Jesus Christ. I believe that they were curious about this new gospel. And as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And you know, I believe that he, they were convicted of their own sin. It was uncomfortable. It was like, ah, I don't want to hear this. And maybe, maybe Felix was thinking like, man, if I, if I keep coming to this Paul, and, and like maybe what happened to my father-in-law is going to happen to me. So I just kinda, I'm going to stay away. Perhaps. But at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Hmm. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, two years, Lord, two years Paul had to sit there in prison. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, remember his wife was a Jew, maybe she was part of that, I don't know, but he left Paul in prison for two years. But you know what? What an opportunity to share the gospel for Paul with people that seem so far away from God and with the wrong motives. But still, we're called to plant the seed. You never know what God is going to do in people's lives in the future. And our last point, stay the course. Stay the course. Stay faithful to Jesus and his mission. God wasn't done with Paul yet. Paul's time hadn't come yet. He wanted to take Paul to Rome so he would be a greater impact for the kingdom. More people needed to hear the gospel. More letters needed to be written to the churches spread out all over the Roman Empire. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, all those books were still needed to be written. He still needed to, to witness to more religious leaders and Roman soldiers and government officials and even to people in the emperor's court. But in the meantime, Paul kept sharing the gospel in this sometimes uncomfortable in-between. In-between. Paul was like, I know that you want some money from me, Felix. I know what you're doing. But you know what? I don't care. If you keep coming, I'll keep sharing the gospel with you. I'll keep talking to you about Jesus. Bring your wife, bring your friends, bring your mom. I don't care. I will continue to witness to, you, to them, to anyone about Jesus. After all, I have plenty of time and a whole lot of Jesus to give. 
Amen. Sometimes we might think, when I get the degree, I will share the gospel. Or when I'm older and more experienced, then I will speak. Or when the circumstances are just right and the people are just right, listen, and they have the right motives to listen to the gospel. When I arrive at a certain destination, then God will be able to use me. But God wants to use you right now, exactly where you are. Exactly where you are. God is, do- is not done with you yet. And there's no plan B, my beloved. We're it. We're it. God has made it clear through the scriptures that there's no other plan. He doesn't have a plan B like, okay, the church didn't work out. Okay, so we're going to have to like come up with something else. That's it. We, we have the book. We can go till the, to Revelation, and we, we know what is happening, what's going to happen. So we're it. There's, there's no other plan. In his infinite wisdom, he has chosen his church and his people to give his power to share his gospel of hope and redemption in Jesus Christ. To everyone, to everyone, if you're here, God is speaking to you. And there is still breath in your lungs. God is not done with you. There are more people that you need to share the gospel with. There are more prayers that, need to be, that you need to pray. There are more time and talent that you still need to invest for the expansion of the kingdom on earth. There's more transformation to Christ-likeness that needs to happen in our lives. And I'm really going to end with this. We don't candy coat things here and Jesus, because Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't tell us that, you know, hey, if you follow me, if you become a Christian, you will, you will, your life will be easy and all the time, and I will protect you and prosper you all the time, and, and I will make sure that you're always comfortable. Okay, tell that to Paul, right? Tell that to Paul. And, and that you'll never get sick. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's coming later. Amen. Amen. That's coming. That day is coming. That no more tear, no more sorrows. There's no such guarantees on this earth. But one thing is guaranteed for all who put their trust in him. One thing is constant, for sure. For sure. And that is that Jesus promised that he will be with us. I am with you till the end, forever till the end. Jesus is enough. And in him, we have everything that we need to live for him. So let's stay the course and follow him every day till the end, no matter what, no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, teach us patience and self-control as we wait on you. Help us remember that you're always in control. 
no matter what happens, even we, we, don't, we don't understand it, when in the midst of the pain and the confusion, I'm feeling sometimes that, that maybe you betrayed us. Lord, help us to, to not doubt you, that your plan is perfect, and you are never late. You are never late, Lord. Thank you that this is not the end. That indeed there is a resurrection of the dead. There is a resurrection that is coming. Because you rose again. Because you conquered death. Because you give us the hope of glory that because you conquered the grave, we have eternal life in you. You opened the gate. You went first. You are our Lord. Lord, bring resurrection life in our hearts, in our lives, as we live for you and this earth in the midst of the struggles and the joys and the blessings and the, and the, the tribulations, Lord. That everything you do is in your perfect timing. That we can trust you. That we can love you. That we can know you every day. Lord, continue to speak. Lord, we, want, we love you. We want to exalt you because you're worthy. Because you're worthy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guys like Paul that just stayed the course, that they didn't take, that they didn't recant, that they didn't abandon you. And they said, Lord, whatever it takes, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for those brothers and sisters right now that don't have the freedom that we have to publicly and openly do what we're doing, that they're doing it in houses, that they're doing it in, in the dark of night, the persecuted church all over the world. Continue to encourage them. Continue to, like you said to Paul, take courage. I am with you. We lift them up to you this morning. We don't, we don't forget them. We thank you that for the freedom that we have here for now to worship you freely. So let's stand and let's give glory to the King of Kings. He is worthy. Amen. Amen. Amen.